Well, thank you. Thanks, Nick. It's uh, it's great to great to be here, and and I love what Nick was saying about the uh, the, the covenant membership, the covenant body, the the group of believers that come together, and uh, and all around the world, there's little bodies, and I think of. Uh, uh, the early church and how it grew, and, and that's what it's supposed to be. It, it's about the community. It's about the people. And uh, we'll have a chance to to talk about that. And because in any group of people, you're going to get you're going to get different perspectives on God as they get introduced to God and how they grow, right? Because we can all think we all have our own experiences of our relationship with God and how we got introduced to it, how we heard the word, how we got infused with it, maybe at some points in our life we got more into it, and we'll talk about then today this a couple of texts we'll get to in a moment of, of God the sower, Jesus the vine, how this comes together, and we'll talk, but first I want to share this idea that we often hear and that that God works in mysterious ways. We've all heard that, that statement. Um, we, we, we all know people, maybe ourselves, have had experiences where God works in mysterious ways, where something happens coincidentally, something connects, a prayer gets answered, we meet somebody, we have an idea. We've all heard of these stories that are almost miraculous, and we could say, wow, God works in mysterious ways. I remember my mom, I grew up in Southern California, she had a book she, she used to get from guideposts, and every year they come out with a book of God works in mysterious ways. And it'd be like this story after story, it's almost like you know a Twilight Zone episode type thing where you get these very strange, odd, mysterious situations that would happen where someone prayed, something came together. Timing, odd things that you could say, wow, God is good. So in a sense, it reinforces and encourages us. But let's talk about that whole idea of mysterious things. And that it really is, I think, it, it, God is a mystery. There are clearly things that are mysterious. But then if you think about it, the whole Bible is very odd. It's very weird. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. There's very mysterious things that are going on with Adam and Eve with all of creation. There's very mysterious and odd things going on with Noah. There's very mysterious things going on with Abraham. Miraculous things where they get pregnant at 100 years old, although they get told at 75 years old. So lots of time passes. Lots of odd things are going on. Isaac, Jacob, later renamed Israel, and his 12 sons. Joseph, one of those sons, miraculous preservation of his living in in jail, and God was doing mysterious and very odd things. Read these stories. Moses, Joshua, the whole Hebrew nation, very odd stories and things going on, but it's God injecting and doing very, very unusual things. Look at Solomon. Look at Saul, the calling of Saul. Look at David, how he was plucked out of all those sons. David was picked. Very, very bizarre, very strange. And what David did as a young boy. And then his son, Solomon. What happened with Solomon? Elijah, Jonah. 
Very strange stories. But it's God doing miraculous things. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, these are dreams, these are ideas, these are odd words coming to them at their prophesizing to people. Very bizarre. John the Baptist. Look at his parents. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Bizarre stuff happening there. Look at Mary and Joseph and the dreams and the reiterations, and they're saying, what, this can't be? But yes, it is. And God reminds them through angelic appearances. All kinds of odd stuff happen. Look at the disciples. Look at Paul and his conversion. And then look, as Nick mentioned, look at Pentecost and what happened, where the infusion of the Holy Spirit comes and it changes the world, and that is the kingdom of God now here, and it's available to everybody. If we respond to this word of God coming, if we respond, if we listen, if we hear it, listen, if we actually then really, really believe it, and if we allow it to develop in it so that we actually sprout, we grow. There's fruit. Not just little fruit. Not immature fruit, but real, substantial, multiplied fruit. That's what's available to all of us. So this morning, I'm going to share kind of a personal, odd and mysterious experience I had. With the convergence of two passages that came together in my mind at a time where it did not make sense. So much so that driving on 280, these two passages came to mind under a very quick prayer that I said to God, I was in confusion. And these came to mind in a very unusual way. It just, it was clearly not out of my mind, but it's the Spirit of God that somehow put these thoughts of very, very bizarre. But then why should we be surprised? Because that's the way God works. We'll dig into these texts, which get into directly how we respond in various ways to this message that we all have heard of. And then finally, we'll apply it as we really think of this four-part kind of response spectrum model, if you will, as we consider how we respond to Jesus, to God, to this message, to the word, and how God actually responds to us at whatever point you're on. So it does not matter where we've been, where we are now, where we're going. God is consistent. It's we that change, and it's okay, because God is consistent and he loves us. And we'll talk about that, so that no matter where we are, God's ever faithful, patient, he's loving, and he waits patiently with open arms for us. It's truth worth knowing and taking ease. He, as I say, whoever has ears, in the words of Jesus, let them, let them hear. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, this morning. I thank you for these, this, your word, for this text we're going to read, for the convergence of two texts that might seem disparate, but in a sense are intimately related because they come from the word of God. They come out of Jesus' own words. And mouth. Lord, I thank you for the way you brought light to these things. And I pray that today people will, will hear, they'll listen, and they'll think about the application of this in ways that will produce new life, a refresh, that will spark new application of this in their life and a reassessment 
of their walk with you and an intimacy with you because we know that you are waiting patiently with no condemnation if we walk with you. So we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm going to share the text. We have it. We have it up on the screen, but there's Bibles that are coming along. So I want you to get your uh, either devices or your Bibles and look up a couple things. I want you to have your finger on Luke. Look up Luke 8. And also look up John 15. But we'll go through the text. And let's read it together. Luke 8. Chapter 4. Well, a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now let me pause there before we read on. And I want to share this this Holy Spirit intervention that I had on Highway 280 one night, actually to this month, 17 years ago. I did the math the other day, thinking this through. It was a fascinating moment. And it gave me insight into the power of God, new respect for the word of God, and new respect for the power of the Holy Spirit when we ask for it, because it's there all the time. The situation for me personally was this convergence of these two verses. We just started to read the first one, and then we'll read John. That were strangely presented to me in a bizarre way. It answered to a heartfelt question that I just took to God, because I was confused. So one night, I was driving down 280, and I got this image or these words that came to mind, not audibly, while driving down, down 680, or 280. And to me, it took away, at that point, the mystery of life. I got the answer in that moment. So what was going on? I was coming from a church leadership meeting with fellow elders and church pastors of a 
large church in the Bay Area. And that evening, we had been talking about this topic of community, the body, what they do, and the topic of good works, the topic of service, the topic of community outreach, the topic of missions, under the banner of a word called deployment was the subject matter. And we think of deployment often in military terms. We think of deployment overseas and military deployment. In this case, deployment was part of a three-pronged strategy of this church. One being, one pillar being evangelism. Another pillar being discipleship. Another third pillar being deployment. So the idea is that a church should evangelize and, and preach the word of God and let people come to the word of God. Another one is that people should then be discipled and grow in their walk with God. And then the third being that they then be deployed. Makes sense, right? That's how it should be. But for me, the word deployment was, was a little bit puzzling. I was a little bit troubled by it. And that because I saw the manifestation of how we got people deployed was a little... Just something, something was off. Because it seemed like it was a push. The whole thing was really about pushing programs, pushing services, pushing sign-ups. Every week there was sign-up in the back, sign-up out there in the breezeway for this program, for this mission trip, for this class, for this or this. And people either, they did it because it was a cool thing, social thing, even overseas missions, or to other countries, or it was even guilted into programs. And there's nothing wrong with programs, community programs, good outreach. In fact, we're called to do that. But for me, there was something off in this deployment. So it raised the issue in this membership, this leadership meeting. And the, the answers I got, even from the senior pastors, was, was not, it was, it, it was fuzzy, to say the least. And, and what I took away was that these weren't very good answers. And it's something, when they tried to nail it down, it's just, it's just what comes out of within that we deploy. But that was inconsistent with what we were doing as a, as a church. So it was just, I, I just was confused. So driving from that meeting that night home, about a 20-minute drive, I'm driving on 280. So I decided, you know, I prayed, literally. I, this was the prayer. Lord, I'm confused. What does deployment really mean? What do you want your people to really do? That was it. Lord, I'm confused. Driving. Lord, eyes open. Lord, what do you, I'm confused. What, what, is de, what is this deployment? What do you want us to really do? That was a heartfelt, honest prayer. And I tell you, within, within a mile, so just a few moments, suddenly, in one of these odd, mysterious ways, because God works in mysterious ways, I got this thought and flashed my mind. And all I said was, parable of the sower. I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. But the thought. You ever get those thought? Boom, boom, parable of the sower. Now, where does that come from? I was not thinking about the parable of the sower. It came from nowhere. So I knew right away, was like, that is a weird thought from left field. Parable of the sower. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, parable of the sower. I just prayed. What's this? And I, and I couldn't, like, wait, what's the one with the rocks, the path? Was it the path of the weeds? Or was it, wait, 
I, you know, I was confused which ones were even the, and I know the last one's good, the good soil. But I thought, I can't wait to get home and look that up, right? So as I'm just kind of fumbling around with that, suddenly, within another mile, boom, John 15. It's all the, John 15. And by then I knew, God, what is going on? This is very bizarre, very mysterious. Now that, I knew John 15 was the passage, the famous passage in the scripture where Jesus says, I am the vine. Now I knew this was a, I knew this was a weird one or something from God because the I am the vine passage, I'll tell you frankly, even though I was quasi-mature Christian, I, I literally, every time I heard the I am the vine, John 15, I rolled my eyes kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever, I got it. But I, it was like boring to me, honestly. So there I knew God was doing something, that he would put this boring passage in my mind, juxtaposed to this parable of the sower, which to me, I did not see the connection. I thought, what? But I drove home, and I'm driving home thinking, I, I, I can't wait to look these up. i got to look these up and see what's going on here. Because I, I think I just got God giving me some ideas. I don't know what's going on. So I rush home, rush by Debbie. Hey, Deb, and I go right in to find my Bible, and i I, I, I got to look this up. So this is what we're, this first thing I look up, I looked up. Now you find Matthew 13 has the parable of the sower. Mark 4 has parable of the sower. Luke 8 has parable of the sower. All essentially the same, few little tweaks here and there. But we're going to focus on Luke 8. Because Nick has been going through the book of Luke, so you guys probably did this, what, 2017 or whatever year. <laughs> but it's, 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 Luke actually is very clear, because Luke is like a historian, and he looks at things very, very clearly, so you almost like get the facts, just get the facts. And Luke does a really good job of telling the story in a really good way. So that's what we're reading here. So you get the first part is this, just the parable as Jesus told it. Then in verse 9, you get more information. Because the disciples are a little befuddled. So they ask in verse 9, His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He just told them. Seems like a little simple thing he just said, but it's like, what does this mean? And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. Given to you, but to others I speak in parables. So that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. That's a very strange statement. We'll break that down in a little bit. If you look at Matthew, Matthew actually has a little more extended breakdown of what Jesus is saying there. And he actually chastises the disciples. Let's say, are you kidding me? You don't understand this? Luke is a little more gentler in how he de- describes the disciples' confusion. Then Jesus says, verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. So, Shut up and take notes. So this is what he's telling them. I'm going to tell you the answer now, guys, disciples, what's going on. The seed is the word of God. The seed's the word of God. Those along the path 
are the ones who hear. And the devil comes. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So that night I read that, and I flipped over a few pages and read the I am the vine passage. John 1 through 8, or verse, uh, chapter 15, run to 8. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Interesting restatement of what he's just been saying. As if to emphasize how important this is. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, I come home, I'm reading those two verses, and it, it, like, it hits me like a ton of bricks. I see this connection from these two disparate passages that actually are very related. And it speaks to the parable of the sower, and actually the fourth part is deep soil roots. The John 15 actually takes how do you get there and produce and operate in the fourth soil. So what we'll do is we're going to break this down and look at each one of these four seasons, and the responses that we have to hearing of the word, to the presentation of the word, in whatever ways we may come across it. I'll make a point, though, first of all, that at the beginning of the passage, it talks about Jesus traveled, and he talked in parables. Um, I... Read somebody 
calculated that Jesus probably traveled about, in his three years ministry, probably about 400 miles. If you look at maps and you look at the Galilee, you look at Jerusalem, you look at Nazareth, look at Capernaum, you look at all these places Jesus kind of went back and forth. It's about a two-day trip, a five-day trip down to Jerusalem, back and forth. He went all around and all into the countryside of Galilee in the northern area of, of Israel was a bunch of small little towns and villages, and, and Jesus made the rounds. He talked to people, and he talked, and he, in a sense, perpetuated the words of John the Baptist that the kingdom of God was coming. And then he spoke of in parables. And so these parables are, they're, what's interesting about parables is that they're memorable. So if you look at the parables of Jesus all through, they're, they're amazing. They're interesting. They're intriguing. But, they don't give you all the answers. You have to think about it. So it goes back to these words like, whoever has ears to hear, listen. And then he tells the disciples, listen, guys, here's the deal. And they're going, what? Huh? What was this? And he says, stop. Here it is. And he gives them the answer. He, he was preparing the disciples to have the, you know, the notes and details on what these parables meant so that they could get it. That's not to say that the general masses couldn't have access to the truth. But Jesus wasn't ready to lay it out in detail to the general masses. He was laying out big, broad picture ideas and communication with the kingdom of God was. Those who were intrigued, those who wanted to go deeper, the truth was there. They would listen and they would follow him. So you got to think, would you follow if you're one little village, a guy, just guy comes in town, you heard about him coming, you thought, hey, let's go to the town square and hear this dude. And you listen to this guy and you go, you either go, wow, that's weird. What's he saying? I don't get it. What's for lunch? And you leave. Or you go, there's something going on with this guy. Where's he going next? I'm going to be one of those tagline guys. I'm going to go next. And I'm going to follow him because I think this guy's got it. So there was that kind of reaction. And those who did that or heard these stories over and over again, the light kind of went on. And I would suspect those were the early people who, after the resurrection, go, I'm all in. That, that guy was the guy. I knew it. And then they're listening to the apostles. They're listening to Paul. They're listening to the words of the letters that went around, and they're like gobbling up and now getting application and details when, the, when Luke's gospel came out. And they're listening to it, and they go, oh, yeah, now I get it. I remember when he told that parable thing about the sower. Yeah, now I get it. So put yourself in those shoes and think about what would be your response. So here's the words from Christ. He says, uh, as he was scattering the seed, some fell on a path. It was trampled on, the birds ate it up. So if that's all you heard, you go, that's kind of weird. Now, a lot of these people were rural farmers. They, they, this whole analogy makes a lot of sense over the story. Because people then apply it just the way we might apply it if we were to hear some story like this to like our daily life. So in that day, the way you did seeds, they actually did not plow and then throw the seeds in and cover it with dirt. In that day, they did not do that. They just, literally, they threw seeds out. And actually, some of the seed got on different types of fertile land or, or soil. Some of it, it fell on the path. It actually would get gobbled up by the birds. because no, Some of it would fall into rocky some of it would fall amongst weeds. Some of it would fall amongst fertile soil and it would grow. So this analogy, the story kind of would make sense to people in a literal sense. But this is what he says when he describes it. So in verse, 11, or verse 12, 
is where we get Jesus' explanation to the disciples. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Those along the path are the ones that hear. And the devil, then the devil comes and takes the, away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So think of it this way. This first response is like this. I hear it. I hear the word of God, but I hear the word of God, but I don't really believe it. We know people like this. Maybe you were like this. Maybe somewhere along your life, you think about when did you first hear this stuff? And maybe you heard it, it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Maybe it took years before you finally got in a situation where you actually listened to some pastor or some event or some camp or something where you kind of heard this. You go, you know what? That makes sense. I'm in. The first response are those that hear this. And I believe everybody in the world at one point, we hear this, this story, this God, creation, Jesus, dying, cross, death, resurrection, disciples, Bible, whatever. And we either go, whatever, or we go, yeah, I got it. I, I, I believe that. So the first path is like those who say, whatever. I hear it, but I don't believe it. It's like the seeds falling on deaf ears. It's out of their minds. It never had a chance. I first heard the gospel when I was in third grade. In fact, I accepted Jesus when I was in third grade. The problem was, after that one night, nothing happened. I didn't do anything with it. My family didn't go to church. I was like, kind of one and done. I mean, it's like, by the fourth grade, fifth grade, I was like, you know, it was like, whatever. Oh, yeah, I, get I think I understand that. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. In fact, I accepted Jesus. I think I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, so I think I'm covered. That's a little dumb kid, right? Many of us are like that. We have that experience, but there was no, there was no substance to it. It didn't stick. There was nothing malicious going on. It's interesting that Jesus tags this little concept of the message being plucked out of our minds. Never had a chance upon hearing. He, his explanation involves the proactive presence of evil, the devil. Literally, he says the devil, which raises up a lot of questions. Satan. If you, you literally, if you look up Matthew and, and Mark, they actually use the word Satan. Luke here, we got the devil. So, the, you know, this raises a whole other issue. It's like, you know, I always maintain if you're a Christian and you don't believe in the devil, you got to really look at what do you believe? Because Jesus talks about the devil. So it's either like he got it and he was into it, or like, well, he was a little, he didn't really understand. He didn't really mean that. Because the devil's not really real. Well, go ask Jesus. What would Jesus say? He talks about the devil. And, of course, if you look at Scripture, the devil is all over this thing. And it speaks about the devil having the power in the spiritual realm of actually influencing our minds. Ultimately, the Spirit of God has more power than this evil presence, but 
This darkness that we live in is permeated with demonic. So one of the first things we have to do is kind of think about, do I believe this, all of this? And that's a whole other topic. So we have to reconcile that at some point. But that's the first response. So you've got to ask, where am I on that one? The second response is where it falls on rocky ground. Some fell on rocky ground when it came up. The plants were withered because they had no moisture. Jesus, going deeper given the notes on this, he says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. There's no depth. Falls on rocky grounds. Topsoil may be okay, but it's too rocky. It doesn't grow. Not enough roots. They believe. The way he puts it is they believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. So that is, I believe it. It's not just I hear it, but I actually believe it. But there's no growth. Many hear the message of God and acknowledge the truth. Like, I believe. I'm in. But there's no growth. There's no depth. We actually go to church. We actually sing songs. We believe. We tell people we're Christians. But they don't take a deeper, not just say one level down, two level, but deeper nurturing steps toward deep development. There may be even small growth. And we say, look at me, I'm a good Christian even. I go to a Bible study class. That's good. Better than not. But we, let's not be deceived. There's not nourishing or depth. So I, I say really accepted Jesus when I was in ninth grade, 14-year-old kid. When it all kind of made a sense, I've been exposed to this before. In a sense, I heard it, and I believe, but I really took it another level when I was in ninth grade. bunch of kids, heard a youth speaker, about 100 kids in the basement of a, of a church next, near a high school. I went to this thing, I heard this guy from Kenny Poor, great guy, never heard of him before, but he comes in, gives a talk, 100 kids there, and it's like, this makes too much sense, I'm in. We go upstairs to the big service after at the evening, and all the adults are there, and all the junior high and high school kids are off in the, you know, in the back corner, and this guy does the same new preach, preacher, but he does an altar call. And I'm like, come on up if you want to receive and make a public declaration. And it's like, excuse me, excuse me. I go to my friend, excuse me, excuse me. Go down the aisle, go down the thing, stand in front, a handful of people up there. And I accept Jesus. Guy puts his hand on me, prays, and, you know, we're all in. I, I thought, this is cool. All my friends were just ecstatic that I was saved and I had made the decision. It was interesting, there was another guy who was part of the youth group, and he was up there in the front with me as well. And I was kind of weird because I thought, what's Brad doing here? Because Brad was one of these guys who was a regular at the church. What's he doing up here for? I thought this was just for the people who were, like, for the first time doing this thing. And everyone was congratulating him, but they used the word, 
that they're happy for Brad because he has rededicated his life. You ever heard that term? Rededicated his life. See, and I remember being at that time, I'm thinking, I accept, I, re, I don't understand what that, why? What is that about? Note to self, what's that? I didn't get it. Well, I've since learned, because there were several people over the years, like Brad, who every time they did an altar call, they come up front. Like they're rededicating all the time. It's like getting extra insurance policies or something. But there's something about, yeah, yeah, I, I'm in, but then uh, maybe they fell away, as they say here. Time of testing, they fall away, and then they feel they have to come back and almost recommit. Do you know what I mean? You've seen people like that, maybe yourself have thought that way. Jesus' explanations is that these joyful believers with shallow roots fall away when confronted with, and if you look across the Gospels, different words, temptation, difficulty, and or persecution. So when things get rough, people bail on this Christian thing. And Jesus kind of calls that out. Now, the third piece is, the third response is, I seed that falls amongst thorns or weeds, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Here's what Jesus says. The seed that fell among the thorn stands for those who hear. I hear it. And those, uh, but as they go, those that hear, those that believe, but as they go, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They don't mature. So, if you look at it this way, it's like, I grow, there's growth, there's some growth, but I hear it, I believe it, I'm growing even in my life as a Christian, but I don't really produce good fruit. There's some fruit, but not good fruit, as we'll find in the fourth soil, which is multiplied 30, 60, 100-fold production. In level three here, we're, there's some growth, there's some production, it's actually pretty good stuff. Maybe we're in a midweek Bible study class. Maybe we are reading the Bible. Maybe we're doing, we're doing good. We go to church. We do this. We even read the Bible once in a while. But it, it's not the focus of our life. We might think it is, but it's not driving it. We're making a lot of decisions on our own. It's the category of many devout Christians, and I dare say it was, it was me for multiple years, that if I'm honest, it's like, you know, I was hovering. In, this is a very big lane to hover in. We believe, but life is actually a mixture of a lot of good stuff. There's some good Christian stuff, good ministry things even. I even teach Bible study classes, like I did. Good production, but it's also a balance of worldly pursuits, entanglements. we got jobs that keep us distracted. Take a lot of cycles. We travel. We're busy. We got homework. We got people to see. We got things going good. We got things falling apart. We got to fix it. We're driving into it. it. We're busy, 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 busy. We're also Christians. And we pray, Lord, help us. Help us. Help my kids. 
helped me in that meeting I got at 10 o'clock. Helped my daughter do well in her soccer game. Helped the kids do well with their friends, get through that issue. Helped me get through this thing I got. I'm making the right decisions. Amen. It's this mixture of God's in there, but it's also all entangled. We're in the weeds. And the fact is that we're actually sprouting. There's some roots, but there's some good stuff, but it's very, you got to be real careful. It's very deceptive. Jesus explains that the impact is on inhibiting or choking off full fruit production. The way I look at it now is, um, I think I was, uh, I'd call now an 80% Christian. Um, if you had to put on a grade, I, I was probably a B plus, maybe A minus, depending on how, good, how you might grade it easy. I, I was in that category. So, and that's pretty good. Because you look at people and go, you know what? I'm, I'm doing, I'm not doing better. I'm doing better than that. I'm not a 50 percenter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not average. I'm not, see, I'm actually, I'm above average. Come on. And you actually deceive yourself. And you think God's like going, hey, B plus, man, way to go. There is nothing in scripture that says God is happy with B plus behavior. Even A minus behavior. There's nothing in scripture that says we should be anything less than 100%. Where do we get this idea that anything less than 100% is, is Okay. And that, hey, I'm doing all this good stuff, but I'm also in the world, and I'm really busy, because, hey, come on, i got a busy job. And God, God, God gets it. You know what? No. He actually wants all of us. And that's the rub. We do very good things in this category, good works, good programs. We feed the poor. Good for us. It's very good. It's to be commended, actually. But there's a very disturbing verse in Matthew 7. Here's Jesus saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Those that say, Lord, Lord, hey, Lord, you're mine, I got you. He says, Not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that that day, Lord, Lord, we did not, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles. Then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away. You evildoers. How do we deal with that one? There's some, something off with being less than 100% and being caught in this third, this third lane, so to speak. So, so what's the next one? The last one is where we need to be, want to be. This is the ideal. Jesus says, it's the, the good soil. This, and, and to the masses, he, he puts it this way, very simply. The good soil, the seed fell on good soil, came up and yielded a crop. Not just a little, but a crop. A hundred times more that was sown. It's multiplied fruit. Jesus, deep notes on this, says, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, persevering, produce a crop. So the fourth place is I produce fruit. First one is I, I, I hear it. The second one, I believe it. The third one is there's actually some growth. The fourth is like there's actually there's, there's real fruit. I produce multiplied fruit. 
This is the not 80%. This is a 100%. This is the all-in Christian. As I say, it's not the, the simply, you know, go to church on Sunday and maybe a midweek Bible service or meeting type of Christian where we think we're doing well, which is not bad, but we're hovering in something less than 100% perhaps. This is the full surrendering disciple. Abiding daily, deeply, deeply rooted, grounded in fresh and multiplied fruit, even a hundredfold. Jesus' explanation involves hearing, understanding, patience, good, honest, and steadfast heart. And that's the parable of the sower. We're told in John 15, if you shift over now, think of John 15. And the second passage I got that kind of put this all together for me, because the first one makes me realize, okay, I need to be in the good soil. How do we really do that? Well, the answer is in John 15. Here's what John 15 says. I am the true vine. God, the Father, is the, is the vineyard. He's the gardener over this, this whole vineyard. Remain in me, and I in you. No branch can bear fruit. Now, there's the fruit connection. The fourth soil was producing not just little fruit, but multiplied fruit. Now, John 15 says, in me, you bear fruit. It's the only way to bear fruit. It must, you must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So how does this work? I hear it. I believe it. I grow. I produce fruit. How? I abide, and I'm connected. There's no fruit bearing unless one abides or connected. One is connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine. And I had the image. It's actually in my mind from a, from a Bible study teacher I heard years ago. And it kind of all makes sense. And it's this image of Jesus is the vine. If you look at a good, healthy vine, it is strong. Jesus is the vine. We're the branch. We have to be connected. If you're not connected to the vine, you're just out there. In fact, you wither and die. There's nothing there. Quasi-connected, you're not getting the full juice of the Holy Spirit that, that, that just gives life to those that are connected. So that's the image. Are we connected, not just to good works, to our good skill sets, to our good heart, to our good friends, to our good little church? Are we connected to the vine by which the, the power of the Holy Spirit comes through and where life comes through? And that's our only source of real fruit. Apart from that connection, there's nothing. There's no fruit. Other than just, good for you. Oh, wow, that's a great ministry. Good for you. That's, oh, that's really cool. That's, that's helping a lot of people. If there's no Jesus vine connection, it is lifeless. It's good. The world will actually applaud and say, even fellow Christians. But the real deal is like, is this really of Christ, of the Spirit of God in him? This all came to life for me as I realized on that night I heard it, but several years later it all took another level. In the fall of 2008, I was with a, one of my largest accounts, my largest customers, essentially fired me, and I had to reset on what was I going to do. I, 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 my business, I, I've always been in sales and driving and building, driving sales organizations. Uh, and for the last 15 years, been consulting, coaching, training teams all around the world. 
had a big client was doing a lot of stuff with them, but then things ended. So now I had to reset. And it's a very humbling thing. And in a sense, it, I, I, I use it as, you know what? This fall of 2008, you know what happened in fall of 2008? The whole world came apart. And everything was doing a reset. And I had to reset. And I used to, you know what? I, God, you, it's, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. You, you take me. What do you, what do you want to, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with me? I could go find another one like this. I could do my work again, maybe find some other clients. Or I could maybe, maybe I'll go into ministry. Yeah, that'll be good. God, you tell me. But you know what? I am done. My way, no more. That was a prayer. And I'll tell you what happened over 90 days. It became very clear. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Very, very clear in prayer. God does that. He shows up when we come to him. We're like on our knees. And also at the same time that was going on in those 90 days, I met some guys who introduced me to they were praying in ways I'd never prayed before. They were just deep dive praying. They were praying like 10, 15 minutes at a shot. I was like, goodness, that's a long time. I mean, really? And I saw what they were praying, how they were praying. I was like, oh my goodness, it's all scripture. It's all prayer. It's asking, inviting in the Holy Spirit. It's inviting in God into these things. Taking, acknowledging who God is understanding who God is and acknowledging what he's done in his death, identifying in the cross, surrendering our cross, praying individually for our family. And that's when I started praying for my wife, maybe myself, pray for Debbie. I pray for Brian, Lisa, and Jason. And I pray for Christy because they were just starting to get together. It looks like they were, they were getting married. And since then, and praying for each of those. And then it became Jason and Chelsea, looks like they're going to get married. Then it became Lisa and Jacob. And now it's, I pray during this prayer, in the course of a context of other things, but I pray for Debbie, I pray for Brian and Christy, I pray for Cameron, Sienna, Cora and Emmy. I pray for Jason and Chelsea, I pray for Lily. I pray for Naomi, I pray for Caleb. I pray for Lisa and Jacob, and I pray for Annie and Jack. And Braden. Everybody gets attention. I submit them and I pray that God will move in their lives, that God will be a spark, that they will uncover and walk in deep soil at an early age and not wait decades to go deep, that they will marry the right people, they will find the right people, that they will discover an intimacy with the vine. So if you put this all together, the four soils, sometimes that parable is called the parable of the four soils. Think of the four responses. There it is. I hear, I believe, I grow. You want to be fruit-bearing. How do we bear fruit? Jesus. He's the vine. Essentially, it's about dying to self. I'm done. I'm done. Jesus, you, you drive this thing. I'm done. I don't want to do this anywhere. You do it. Because if I want to go here, but really, Jesus, you want me over here, why would I do this? If you really want me here, like, I'd be an idiot. Jesus, I want to be so connected that it's like, don't go there. It's so clear, that door, window shuts. It's very clear where you want me to go. That's the way to do life. I die to self. It's an all-in surrender. I'm connected 
to the vine. Nothing else. Everything else cascades off that, but that's the foundation of the relationship. And then simply repeat daily. This is not a one-and-done exercise. This is a daily struggle, daily decision, daily battle, where you have to, every morning you've got to pray. Say, Lord, here I go. i got that meeting at 10. i got to do this thing. i got to do this. This thing's blowing up. we got to do this over here. This is pretty good over here. Lord, I'm done. It's yours. What do you want me to do today? Get validation? But you're taking it to them. I surrender myself. I'm doing it your way. Bless this, Lord. You bless this. And out of that comes multiplied fruit. It's the only way. And it's good fruit. It's good fruit. So. I'd summarize it this way. We are to be fertile soil. So roots can grow deep and be richly nourished. A la the parable of the sower. We are to abide, be connected to the vine who is Jesus, I am the vine. Once our source of nourishment, fuel, power, strength, and peace, our connection to God directly now. When we are connected to the vine, we yield bountiful fruit, a hundredfold, directed by him. Not of our own works, lest any man should boast. God is the sower and the master in the vineyard. We merely respond, and he does the pruning and the soil tending. We're just to stay as good soil and connected to him, Jesus, the vine, via prayer, the word, and fellowship with others in the field with us. He does the fruit producing. We're the pass-through vessels used for his good purposes, be they individual or church, with community service activities or programs. But it's not of our own doing. It's out of the flowing of the power of the Holy Spirit through us. Now, you'll notice at the end of, uh, I'll close out in prayer, but you'll notice there's an exercise to think about. And it's actually a very powerful exercise to do by yourself under the reflection questions. Is to think about it, I call it like a, almost like a personal assessment, spirituality test. But go and read those three passages in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke of this parable of the sower. And look at those four, those four soil types. And then simply on a piece of paper, draw a line and just divide it in thirds. And think of your own life. Think of your life in three phases. Your, your youth years, so say less than 25 years of age. So whether you're in third grade or ninth grade or whatever, less than 25. Think of the middle years as a kind of the adult years, let's say, you know, 20, um, you know, 25 to 50. And then think of anything 51 plus as kind of your senior years. And then maybe you came to Jesus in uh, when you were 53 years old. And before that, you were just kind of like stage one or two. You really weren't paying attention. But now you are. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe you did get into it early. High school, you're all over it. You you've been into it deep since. But the thing is to assess where you've been. And here's the deal. God loves you. He's with you no matter where you were, where you've been. Whether you're late, better late than never. The sooner the better, however, right? But God is patient, he's loving, and he's waiting for us. Almost like the prodigal son. He's waiting there and he wants to throw a party for us when we come in. And let's get connected that way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for...
your word. I thank you for that night 17 years ago, Lord, in a bizarre and mysterious and odd way, because you work in strange and mysterious ways. You answered a simple, genuine prayer out loud to me, and I voiced, Lord, help me. What is this about? What do you want? What is? What are we to do to deploy? What do you mean by that? What are we supposed to mean with that? You gave me the answers in your scripture. Your word, the word is full of your truth. It's the secret to life. And I thank you for these passages. Thank you for this text. I thank you as we think about the application of these soils and our responses. Lord, we know in our sin, we know in our guilt, we know in our waywardness, you have still loved us. You have taken us. You're patiently waiting for us to kind of get it. And Lord, I thank you that we can ultimately get it and walk with you. And it's all about simply coming to you humbly, done with ourselves, but connected to the vine that we may have life and have it multiplied in fruit and bountiful fruit that is led by you and blessed. We pray. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.